right? Make sure to sign up for that. You can go out to our website in order to do that and block those dates out. Make sure to be there October 19th and 20th. You will really, truly gather some really tremendous tools from this conference. We've been aiming for it all year long, and now it's the completion of that. So make sure uh, to do that. If you would, grab your Bibles this morning, because we are going to continue and finish our series called Hocus Focus today. If you've not been a part of this series, maybe this is your first time here at Praise Assembly. I want to start with an apology um, because, quite honestly, this is the capstone of the entire series. If you even missed a week or two and haven't gone out and listened to those messages online, I apologize for that too. You probably will not get as much out of today as others will. I encourage you to go back and listen to them uh, online Uh, even after service, in order to kind of capitalize as much as we can on this. But this is the capstone. This is the final week of the series that was a full-bore kind of series. We didn't pull up. We didn't try to make it more accessible. We just turned it on and just went for it. And and the reason for that is because it is so vitally important that we talk about what we're talking about. We're talking about our inner lives. And this is the most important thing about us. What's going on in here? What's going on in here because everything else might pass away everything else might be gone but this is the thing that remains in second corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 it says so we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison And so what's going on in here and what's going on in here is important. It's important to God. It should be important to us. It's definitely important uh, to our enemies and the enemies of our inner life. So what we're doing is we're taking that, which might be like a little misty to us, and trying to just focus in on it. So we called this series Hocus Focus. Demythologize the whole thing. So again, we're finishing up Hocus Focus today. Really quick recap, and then we're going to jump in. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 2 says, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And essentially what we talked about was this, that there are three trolls trying to hack our inner life. There is the flesh, there is Satan, and there is the world. Okay, a couple weeks back we talked about the flesh. Last week we talked about Satan, and today we are talking about the world. And for our title for today, trying to figure out how to really encapsulate that idea, we decided to call this one Trolls Incorporated. Trolls Incorporated. Um, I don't know if you know this, but right now there is a major shift that is happening in our world. Um, There is a foundation kind of shaking thing that is being produced and changing, and it is going to change the way we work for generations to come if Jesus Christ does not come back. And that is the invention of and the development of artificial intelligence. I don't know how many of you guys have followed along with this. I am just kind of like an information. I want to know as much as I can, and so I go out and I read and I research and And uh, as a result of artificial intelligence, they are saying that every single industry will be affected by the development of artificial intelligence. And there are some that are more susceptible for positions to be replaced by artificial intelligence sooner rather than later. Okay, so so for example, 
If you're in here right now and you are a telemarketer, I am so sorry. Just because you're a telemarketer. But number two, because of the fact that there is, this has been ranked, like you are number one most likely to be replaced by artificial intelligence within the next two decades. Telemarketers is number one to be replaced. And you can go down that scale and actually, just so you know, pastors are also on that scale. Um, We're on the other end of it, but there is still a 0.8% chance, a little less than 1% chance, um, that we will be also replaced by artificial intelligence within the next two decades. So you may have a sermon that is produced by and preached by artificial intelligence. But already there are apps, like there's one app called Confession. I don't know if you've heard about this. Um, Confession is an app where uh, there's a drop-down menu um, that this app is in order for you to track your sins and to confess them. And so they have this uh, drop box that is populated by artificial intelligence based on, I guess, where you've been looking at the, win- on, the on the websites and, and on, on how much time you're spending on Facebook. And so it provides for you, populates the possible sins that you might confess. So there's that. And I'm okay with you confessing your sins to an app because I'd rather you confess them there than you confess them to me. Um, just, just saying there. So, but already artificial intelligence is making a difference. And there are corporations that are producing and working on this idea and have been for some time because it is such a really groundbreaking and shaking thing across the world. In fact, several years ago, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Microsoft Incorporated um, produced an artificial intelligence um, that they called Tay. T-A-Y. Does anybody remember this? Okay, some of you do. So what they did was they produced this AI, kind of what they called a chatbot. And the idea with this chatbot was that they released it into the wild of the internet, and they allowed people to tweet things to Tay. Okay? And as they tweeted to Tay, and as she learned from humanity, she would grow and change and become more lifelike and more real. This happened in 2016. They released her without controls into the internet to see how she might develop. Okay? If you don't, you can research it. Her name was Tay. Well, within 24 hours, she became racist, anti-Semitic, and started calling for genocide. Microsoft shut her down. To this day, if you go out to Twitter and you look for Tay, this is the image that you will see. She is shut down. She no, she's dormant now. She no longer is able to be tweeted to, or she was within 24 hours fundamentally corrupted at a basic level. And, and, and Microsoft, of course, apologized profusely, and they said, here's what happened. This is their words, a cyber mob of trolls. This is, this is the kind of language we have now in our world. A cyber mob of trolls came and descended on her and started tweeting to her the most racist, the most despicable, the most bent parts of humanity, started tweeting those things at her to deliberately change her disposition. And within 24 hours, they were able to accomplish that, which gives us great, great hope that artificial intelligence will not destroy humanity someday. Okay? Um, 
But they didn't know who the individuals were who did it. They just said it was some nameless, faceless incorporation of trolls. The worst of the worst. We're talking about the world today. And as we do that, I need to start by laying just a little bit of foundation. Because a lot of times we hear words like the world and we don't understand what is being talked about. Because sometimes we read things about the world and it says a certain thing and then other times it's talking about the world and it says something different. So like in 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 it says very clearly, um, it says do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So do not love the world. And then two chapters later, John says, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Well, maybe that's just talking about other believers. Maybe that's the conversation that's being had here in 4 verse 15. But what about John chapter 3 verse 16 where it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish. But ever. So if God loves the world... But then he doesn't want us to love the world. There must be two separate things that are being talked about here. So in John 3.16, what he is not talking about is this, just some nameless, faceless. He's talking about individuals, the people that make up the world. John 3.16. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says that Jesus Christ died for the church. Let me tell you what that's not saying. He did not die for the corporation of the church. Jesus did not die for a 501c3. He died for the body. He died for you and for me. He died for the individuals that make up the bride of Christ, okay? So that's talking about the individuals. That's talking about he loves the people of this world. But then when we read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it's talking about something else. It can't be talking about individuals because in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, against the powers over this present darkness. Okay, this is not talking about individual people. The world is not individuals, and we get this wrong all the time. Here's what I mean by this. What we talk about is we say, okay, so there's a line in the sand. And on one side you have the church, and on the other side you have the world. And so if Bob's not in the church, Bob is in the world. He is the world. But that is not the right interpretation of the scripture because here's the thing. When Jesus Christ knelt on the ground before the condemners and the woman who was caught in adultery, I guarantee you he did not draw a line in the sand. I don't know what he wrote, but I know Jesus, and it was not a line in the sand. I think we're a little too quick to draw some lines in the sand, and we look at it and we say, ah, that's the world, and then here it's, it's individual people. Don't look at it that way. Instead, look at it as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm just laying some really quick foundation trying to get through this, but in Ephesians chapter 2, what does it call it? The course of this world, the course 
of this world. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it calls it the pattern of this world. Have you ever found yourself in a mob? Not the mob, a mob. Have you ever found yourself caught up in a moment, surrounded by other people who are all caught up in the moment as well? You get into this mass of humanity where it's nameless and faceless and personless. It is a mob. Mob mentality has been studied for years because of the fact that people do things when they're in a mob that they would not otherwise do. In fact, if I could give you a piece of advice, let me start with this. If you ever find yourself in a mob, get out of it. Okay? Like, use whatever excuse you have to use. If you find yourself in a mob, say, I'm so sorry. I left my pitchfork at home. I need to go and get my torch, be right back, and get out of the mob. Because when you find yourself in the midst of a mob mentality where it's nameless and faceless, the very worst of humanity comes out in that because the internet. Okay? So when you talk about what is the world, you look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are from God And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And then you've got Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 where it says, uh, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So if I were to have to define the world, it would be this. It is the mob mentality influenced by the flesh and Satan. It's mob mentality of the mass of humanity influenced by the flesh and Satan. This is why it's important that we be a part of this whole series. Because if you don't know what our battle is against the flesh, and you do not know how we battle against Satan, then you don't know how all of those things combine together with the the, the, the enormous kind of troll incorporated group of mass of humanity then you do not know what our struggle is against so when i think of the world i think of trolls incorporated this nameless faceless mass is not an individual that we draw a line in the sand say you're on the wrong side of this thing that's the wrong approach it is instead this nameless face of mass of humanity and the worst bent of it influenced by Satan and influenced by the flesh. Okay, so I've got one more piece I need to add to this foundation before we get to the good stuff. And we're almost to the good stuff. When I first moved to Springfield uh, a couple years in, I went to work for a company called Twin Towers Construction. Um, uh, The Twin Towers were two guys. Um, One was Steve Mixer, which is Carol and Laverne Jackson's son-in-law. And the other was Mike McClure, which was our J- Jesse and Rachel Barnes' son-in-law. And they were both really tall. They are really tall. Um, but, and so they were the Twin Towers, Twin Towers Construction. And they built the foundations that go on houses. And so the foundation, concrete foundation, foundation walls that the houses are built on. And 
the very first day that I went to work for them, um, everything started out great. You know, I was ridiculously unprepared. I hadn't gotten work boots or anything, so I'm just wearing regular running shoes. And, and um, they had already excavated the land, and it was all prepared for us, and so we started building the forms in order to put the concrete foundation up. And then it started to rain. And then it started raining harder. And then it was torrential downpour type rain, but we were so close to the end that we just kept pushing through. But all of that dirt, which was at first so compact, turned into mud and muck and mire. I don't know if you know the kind of mud I'm talking about, the kind of mud that I call sucking mud, the kind of mud that you step down and you... That kind of mud. The kind of mud that rips the shoes off of your feet and literally did that to me. At one point, I have no shoe and the end of my sock is all kind of dangling off my foot and it's all kind of muddy. And you think the shoe is down right where you just pulled your foot out of. So you just kind of slip it back down in there and hope that there's a shoe there. The most disgusting, slimy mud and muck and mire. And afterwards... Mike McClure said to me, man, I thought for sure you were going to quit. And I said, no, sir, I'm a real man. <laughs> and I got the same response from him. And, and yet we built that foundation, and I know right where that house is. I drive by it every now and then, and I'm like, hey, it's still standing right in the midst of all that mud and that muck and that mire. Why? Because it's built on a foundation that we built, a real foundation, a concrete foundation. So a really interesting phrase that you can find in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. And it's a phrase that caught me from the very beginning of this series, and I didn't know how to interpret it. It's Ephesians 4, 23. It essentially says this. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, what's really interesting as we talk about our inner life is that apparently... Our mind has a spirit, and our spirit has a mind, right? Like, there's a lot of inner, like, I'm not entirely sure where the thoughts and the emotions and all that, we can come up with stuff and say this comes from here and that comes from there, but I don't really know what it means exactly by the spirit of our minds. I don't, and I've studied it, and I've researched it. I can tell you what it at least means. It at least means this, that our mind is not completely objective and that our mind has a previous bent and that our mind is something that it does not just faithfully produce and compute and give back an answer instead we have a perspective in our mind we have a filter through which we run things in our mind it is like the foundation of our mind here's what I mean by that have you ever had an interaction with somebody you're talking to them and you tell them or you're talking to them and, and you see a pattern of destruction in their lives every single time they end up in the exact same place and you see it but every time you talk to them it's always somebody else's fault you guys know anybody like that? And you're like, boy, you are not living in reality. Here's the thing. They have a filter through which they are running reality and every interaction and every conversation and every situation is being run through that filter before they respond to it. You know what that filter is called? It's called your worldview. Your worldview. And everybody has one. It's just like your belly button. Everybody's got one, but nobody talks about it. 
You know what I'm saying? Or maybe that's not the best illustration. Um, it's like your auricularis. Some of you are like, oh, that was indecent. Yeah, your auricularis. Everybody's got them. Some of you know it. Some of you don't. Some of us know it, but then we don't know what it does. Okay, the auricularis is the muscles by which you wiggle your ears. Okay, everybody wiggle your ears. Okay, some of you have not been working your auricularises out, okay? But everybody's got one, we just don't know it or we don't know how they work. And so what I want to do really, really quickly, and this is super quick because I don't have a ton of time, but I want to give you just some basics of worldview, okay? And when I say basics, I mean basics, okay? Because this, I don't have time for like worldview 101, but I have time for worldview 001, okay? So that's what we're doing here. Worldviews 001, okay? Every single worldview begins with an assumption. Every single worldview out there begins with an act of faith, a leap of faith, even Christianity. Now, here's the thing about Christianity. Our, our, our leap of faith is not a blind leap of faith. We base it on those things we see and understand and know and hear from others. But there is still an act of faith. And that act of faith is this, that there is a God who, for whatever reason, makes himself known. He exists and he shows himself to us. And we look at that revelation as he's revealed himself to us and we see that he, in that revelation, we see that he created the entire universe. All that is, is his creation. And then at the pinnacle of that creation, he has created man, mankind, and set them at the pinnacle of that creation. Because he's the one who created it, that means he upholds it. That means that he is the one who can say how things work, lay out patterns for us. And yet, mankind failed. And when we failed, we brought into this world corruption, and every bit of it is corrupted, including you and me. You are not sinful because you sin. You sin because you are sinful. We are corrupted. And yet God in his glory and in his beauty and in his love did not leave us there. He sent for us Jesus, his son. And he redeemed us and promised us a better future, right? A place that when we die, we go to. And not only do we just go to this place that's better than where we are now, there is also the promise that he is bringing that back to his creation and all will be redeemed just as we are redeemed. This is the basics of a Christian worldview. And I know it goes so much deeper than that. I understand that, but that's the basics. Okay? Really basic. That is not the only worldview out there. There are other worldviews as well. There is the atheist worldview. And an atheist would tell you, no, I never make an act of faith. I never take a leap of faith. I never make assumptions. But atheism is based also on a leap of faith. It begins with the atheist. The atheist looks around and says, and this is the act of faith, that 
all, I am able to see all that is reality. Everything that I observe is reality, and everything I don't observe or we cannot prove is not reality, okay? If you look at it at a basic level, the, the basic assumption is I am able to observe all that is reality. Sorry for that circle, it's an oval. But, so they look around and they see nature and they say, ah, I see that all that is and I observe it, which means it must be real. But I don't see sin, and I don't see corruption. If there's anything that's corrupt, it is this idea of religion. It's humanity that's the only thing that's wrong. Everything else is good, and everything else is right. And so because of the fact that there's no sin, and there's no corruption, then there's no hope of something better, because there's no need for redemption. There's no need for Jesus, right? If, there's no need for, if there is no sin, then you can go ahead and remove Jesus from the picture. Then there's no heaven. And when it comes down to it, at the end of my life, I just cease to exist. So that means that this is all that there is. It starts with the assumption, I am able to observe all that is. Which is an incredibly prideful thing to say when we know that we are the result of dumb chance. Our brain is the result of dumb chance, but I can observe all that is reality. Regardless, that's a worldview. There are other worldviews as well, and one of them is based on and subset of uh, atheism, and that is humanism. And that says, yes, I can observe all, but more than that, I am the king of all that is. I am the God. I am above all and in all. And then you've got relativism. Relativism says, hey, who am I to say that somebody else's reality isn't reality? Who am I to say that somebody else and how they interpret the world is not the real way? And so if somebody says, hey, you know what? I think the earth is flat. Then to that person, the earth is flat. They can believe whatever they want because that is their reality. These are the basics of worldviews. Here's what we need to know about these worldviews. That these worldviews do not sit in a book on a shelf so that we can go over to them when we want and examine them, open the book up, and then cross-examine them theologically. No. These worldviews are constantly pushing against us. And all around us, they are coming. And they are pressing in on us. And they are constantly influencing the way that we think and the way that our worldview is formed. And as a result, then, we end up just kind of accepting little pieces of each. We do it kind of what, let's say, buffet style. It is a buffet style personal faith. And so then we look at Christianity and we say, ah, you know what? I really like the idea of heaven. I like this part of this where I don't have to answer to someone else. I, but I like heaven. I, I don't want this to be the end. I want to be able to go somewhere and be a naked baby flying around with little wings on my back. And I want to see all my old cats and dogs and zebras and unicorns again. And so I want to take that part of it. I like the idea of heaven, but I really don't like the idea of the fact that maybe there's sin in this world. And I really don't like the fact that, boy, there's a God out there who can tell me the way that I am supposed to live. And so we take the part that we do want and we make it a buffet 
We say, I'll take this piece, but not that piece. Here is the fundamental issue with that idea. When you just take a piece and not the foundation on which it's built, you end up in the mud and the muck and the mire, right? If you take heaven, but you do not take the Jesus that provides that redemption, you are standing in the mud. If you take that without taking the fact that there is a God who can declare what is right and what is wrong, that he created the universe and he upholds it, then you are taking a piece without the foundation. And you know what Jesus said about houses that are built without a foundation under it? We find ourselves in the sucking mud and mire. This is why it is hugely important that we know what our worldview is, what is the basis of it, where it comes from, and we are intentional about building it. This is why as parents it's important that we are intentional about building our children's worldviews. Because when I have an opportunity to speak into my daughter's worldview, I need to take that opportunity. Because there are pressures that are pushing against her, constantly influencing her with other worldviews. And here's how I know that. How many of you know what the inside of a ventilation shaft, a ventilation duct looks like? How many of you know what, uh, how many of you can close your eyes and picture it right now? Picture the inside of a ventilation shaft, a ventilation duct, okay? How many of you have been inside a ventilation shaft or ventilation duct? Much less. Why is that? Where do you get the visual of what a ventilation shaft looks like? Well, because you've seen it in the movies. You know that that's where you hide when there's a bad guy. Right? You climb on in there, and you be really, really quiet. And if that bad guy hears you, he'll grab you by the feet and pull you around the corner as you're scratching all the way out. See, it influences us without us even realizing what it looks like. Here's the problem with a buffet-style faith. It's the same problem there is with a buffet. All you need to do is go one time to a buffet. And see somebody with a cold. And you realize those sneeze guards do not work. Ugh. If your faith is a buffet, Satan has sneezed all over your reality. All over it. Okay, so that's the foundation. Let's get to the good stuff, okay? Good stuff. I've only got ten minutes left here. Good stuff. So if the Spirit, and setting our eyes on the Spirit, is our weapon against the flesh, and if setting our minds on the Word of God is our weapon against Satan, then our weapon against the world is a mind, a fortified mind, submitted to God. God gave us a brain for a reason. He gave us the ability to think for a reason. He gave us the ability to form our own worldview for a reason. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7 says, this is Paul talking to Timothy, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. He gave us the ability to think, to engage our brains in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, um, it says uh, 
uh, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. What is he saying? He's saying we have a brain to use. And there are those who do not cultivate it. They don't use what God gave us. And so they're ignorant. And when the time comes that they come up against something that they do not understand, then they twist it and they get it wrong and it goes to their destruction. Not just uncultivated, but he says those who are unstable. And the idea is not an, is an unfortified mind. Here's what this looks like. There's a hard truth that somebody does not understand in the word of God. So they come up to it, but their mind isn't fortified. So they push against it a little bit, and they realize it's not given, and I'm not understanding it. And so as a result of the fact that they are not fortified in their mind, they just kind of pull away from it. And it goes to their own destruction. That is not the way we're supposed to handle it. We are supposed to have a mind that is fortified by gazing at the Lord. And as we do that, we come up against a hard truth that we do not understand. So we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us in it. Show me what this does and what this means. And so when you see in there, wow, it says the world's here in John 3.16 and the world's here in 1 John 2.15. What in the world? How does this work together, oh God? We come up against this truth and we do not understand, so we push. We pray for the Holy Spirit to help us. And we humbly lay it before God and we say, oh God, what does this mean? And we push again. And we weep over the scriptures until it makes sense to us. That is a mind that is fortified by gazing at the Lord. This is the weapon that God has given us to stand in a world with forces constantly pushing against us. Can I just say to you, stop Googling for things that you should be praying for. Stop looking for blog-level answers to God-level questions. Stop going to Wikipedia for stuff you should be going to the Word of God for. Read, read voraciously, but be very selective in those things that you allow to form your worldview. God gave us this thing for a reason. Use it. Submit it to the Lord. And as you do that, Romans 12, 2 says that you will be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can I just say to you that the idea that, boy, it's what I've always believed, is incredibly destructive, even if it's pointed at Christ. Even if it's pointed at Christ. Because what I see here is a growing I see a renewing. I see the fact that our mind does not remain stagnant, but that we grow in him and we learn in him. We grow in his knowledge and grow in his grace. Boy, don't allow your brain to remain stagnant with that's just what I've always believed. Because a lot of times, over time, all of those things pushing against us, we don't even realize it's slipping in. And those philosophies take root. And those truths that are not truths grab a little part of our brain and we hold to them. And we don't even know it. So Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. I've got one more verse for you today. And I want to tell you that this is a verse that I was studying about two and a half months ago. And this is a verse that I said, oh, this is the capstone. Oh, this is where we're going. This is the end, and I saved it for today. Oh, I wanted to use it three other times already in a three-week sermon series. But I saved it for today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Here's what it says. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. I quote this verse all the time. I say, oh God, that thought that's flitting across my brain, may I lay captive that thought today. And that's good. And I'm going to keep on saying that. But that's actually not a proper interpretation of this passage. I'm not going to stop because that's a good thought and that's a good way to handle um, those thoughts. But that's not the correct interpretation. You know what Paul's talking about here? Paul is talking about when he comes into a new culture, he brings with him the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of God. And when he does, every philosophy, every lofty opinion of God and how things work crumbles before him. When I was studying this passage, we were watching Lord of the Rings. We hadn't watched it for a really long time. And so I'm watching it in the background as I'm studying this passage. And right as I'm studying this passage is, this, is the battle at Helm's Deep. And if you don't know the battle of Helm's Deep, it, it's this, there's this massive castle. And on one side you've got an army. On the other side you've got an army. And the army that's throwing itself against the, uh, the Helm's Deep, are, are they're throwing themselves against the wall and they can't knock it down. So they bring out these massive siege machines and they roll them up against the wall. And these things fall down and then they rip apart the wall and all of the army comes rushing in. That's the picture that Paul is using right here. He's saying, when I go into a culture, the truth of God rips all of those philosophies that are not of him. All of those things that are not true. All of those lofty opinions that rise up against Christ. And it tears them down. And some people are like, woohoo, I'm going to do that to some atheists. These are the kind of people that every time they see a video, Christian destroys atheists, they click on it. You know what I'm saying? They're the worst. If that's you, you're the worst. Can I just say that to you right now? You're the kind of person who goes down to the coffee shop hoping to find some atheists to destroy. That's the worst. Because that's also a misinterpretation of this passage. Because if you look at it, Paul right before this is talking about humility. And he's talking about the meekness of Christ and the foolishness of the cross. It's not about coming in destroying some atheist. That's the wrong interpretation of this passage. So how do we handle this passage? How do we react to this passage? What do we do with this passage? Let me tell you. We plant ourselves right in front of it. We put ourselves right in the face of it. And we take it full bore. 
We say, oh God, if there is any philosophy in my brain, any presupposition that rises up against Christ, if there is anything that I have absorbed buffet style, if there is a thought in my brain that is just the way that I've always thought it before, undo it, oh God, destroy it, tear it down. May it be smashed before the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how we react to this passage. And that's what we're going to do today. If you would take your Bibles and put them next to you. I want everybody in here to put down anything that might be in your hands right now. I think there's something about having open hands. Even if you're holding your loved one's hand, put it down for just a moment. And just lay those hands out before the Lord. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And when I do, I encourage you to keep your eyes closed until you hear the music begin. When you hear the music begin, please open them. What we are going to do is we are going to gaze upon the glory of God. And as we do, I'm going to start with prayer. And I'm going to ask him to undo any untrue philosophies or thoughts or anything that has risen up against God in our own hearts. Things we have absorbed from the world and incorporated into our own worldview. Okay? And then we're going to spend time flat out right in front of that passage. So even though I might begin or end praying, keep your eyes closed until the music begins, okay? Once the music begins, you can open them. With your hands open before the Lord, please bow your head, close your eyes. Father, we come to you as those who live in a world but are not of this world. We come to you as those who, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, that we are open and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And Lord, it is so easy for wrong philosophies and worldviews to creep on in and to rise up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Father, sometimes we think it's wise. Sometimes we think it's wisdom. And in James chapter 4, verse 13, it says, or verse 15, it says very clearly that that wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil if it is not submitted to the cross. And so, Father, use the foolishness of the cross now in order to wipe away the wisdom of this world. And if there is anything that rises up against you, May we, in humility today, see that taken. May we be undone as we gaze upon you 